Hi. Welcome to Nocturna, a horror podcast. Today, you're invited to the edge of reality to witness the horrible things that lie beyond its horizon. We'll explore a captivating tapestry of dread and cosmic terror, where the intensity of our descriptions may elicit a range of emotions, from spine-tingling thrill to disquieting unease. As we delve into the depths of these stories, we invite listeners to embrace the full spectrum of sensation that may be evoked, understanding that the chilling nature of our content may both exhilarate and unsettle, depending on individual preferences. As you embark on this immersive journey with Nocturna, prepare to surrender to the captivating tales that both stir the depths of your imagination and awaken the dormant fears within you. Episode 8, Wild. The story you're about to hear is a work of fiction. Probably. I think I've always thought of myself as an explorer. Not a hiker, not an outdoorsman. Although when people ask me what I like to do in my spare time, I can't really say that, can I? I mean, you look a person in the eye and say, oh, I'm an explorer. They're going to think you're an absolute weirdo who sees himself as Cortez or Magellan or something. Still, my hobbies over the last few years have gone far beyond standard outdoor recreation. I think so anyway. Most people take the kids and the dog, pack them in a minivan, and hike for a few hours on Saturday. Then you have your survivalist types. Filter your own water, kill rabbits and squirrels for food. I think that stuff is cool, but it's always been a little macho for my taste. Like, it's just me, my knife, and a box of matches. Aren't I such a man? I don't know, it's all a bit pathetic, isn't it? I'm sorry, I don't mean to sound judgmental. Really, it's none of my business how others choose to spend their time. I think it all just sort of grew sour on me. Like, here you are, really getting in touch with the part of the human spirit that's aligned with the natural world, but then you're walking the same paths that thousands before you have walked. Or you're out there to test out your brand new, mass-produced assembly line, carbon fiber, tactical, blah, 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 that you saw an ad for online. I mean, with all the glitz and consumerism, it might as well be a new lip gloss at that point, right? I thought the outdoors were supposed to be about adventure, unpredictability, and courage. And how can there be courage without fear? I think real wilderness exploration is about just walking into the wilds and hoping things go well. That's really what our ancestors did. I don't research things, plan routes, or look up the weather. I'm content to use my skills and senses to find the best way forward, and they've taken me to some breathtaking places. Anyway, I'm lucky enough to earn a not insignificant salary as a software developer, and a lot of my work is remote. This puts me in the unique position to be able to travel to national parks all over the states and scout all types of backcountry. It's a great opportunity to experience how others live and eat interesting food. I remember being in my first few years of heavy exploring, thinking it would be really nice to have some friends who were excited about the outdoors the way I was. Sometimes you meet one or two out in the wild, but like I said, we're few and far between. A number of years ago, I was on a hike through the Cascades, somewhere off trail. Spring in the Pacific Northwest is simply awe-inspiring. Sunlight leaks through the evergreens, and a lush carpet of flowers and wet, thawed earth blankets the ground beneath you. I walked along, taking in the songs of birds and smells of freshly bloomed daisies, when I noticed someone walking towards me. 
I remember thinking how strange it was that he was coming from the exact direction I was going, even though the route was unmarked. When we got closer, I saw he was an older guy who looked to be in his early 60s, but he was built like a truck. I don't know if I've ever seen shoulders that big, and he sported a thick mountaineer's beard of black and gray. When we were about 20 feet apart, he sat on a felled tree and we locked eyes. He gave me one of those closed mouth smiles before he drained what appeared to be the last of his water. At least I thought it was water until I saw the look on his face when the bottle left it. Then I was very sure it must have been some type of liquor. I went to pass him, but as I did, he opened his mouth and gave a gruff, where are you heading? His voice was low and he had some sort of accent I couldn't identify. Probably European. I don't know, I don't really have an ear for that sort of stuff. I think I just said up, as I hadn't really planned out a specific route that day. He let out a hearty laugh and followed up with, well, that's as good a direction as any, I guess. I nodded and took another few steps when I heard him get up and give me one last good luck as we each continued on our paths away from each other. I was offended for a second. Did I look like I needed luck? I marched on for another hour and a half or so before I heard a great rushing of water in the distance. Waterfalls are all over the cascades as the snow melts in spring. The leaves and twigs crunched and crackled beneath me as I followed the sound. Within minutes, I arrived at the foot of a great fall. Here, the noise of the water was deafening. The cataract's height couldn't have been less than 30 feet, and the basin of rock it thundered upon was flat, leaving the resulting pool shallow and spilling into the forest. The wide pool narrowed into a stream, and I knelt by it. I reached in with both hands, cupping the liquid before lifting it over my head and releasing. I always forget how cold the waters are in the mountains. I took a deep breath, lowering my face to the moving surface of the water and taking my first drink. The water of a crisp Cascade mountain stream is the freshest I've ever had the pleasure of tasting. It's almost sweet in its own way. I took one sip, then a second. Upon a third, I noticed that the sweetness I had chased suddenly disappeared like sand through open hands. It was as though it had entered my mouth as spring water, but was replaced with something sour and acrid before disappearing down my throat. I looked around for some polluting source, but found none. The water had no strange smell, and drinking again, I noticed it had regained its pristine flavor. I had no sooner attributed the taste to a trick of the mind when I, for a reason I can't remember or explain, found that my gaze had been pulled upwards to the height of the fall itself. It had seen if, where the rock jutted out, I saw a small red object. When you spend a lot of time outdoors, you learn to identify straight lines in an almost uncanny way. If all around you is organic and irregular, the perfect lines of an electrical tower in the distance or a dropped pencil can alert you like a snapping twig. I felt so strangely but strongly inclined to investigate what could be hidden among the rocks that I didn't notice I had already removed my pack and made my way to the base of the wet cliff. I hadn't brought any climbing gear with me, but at that moment it didn't matter. I understood the danger involved in the task I was set on completing, but the creeping cliff felt more like an exhilarating playground than a peril of the wilds to be respected. 
With each handhold and foothold, I climbed higher and higher beside the fall as I felt a wide smile stretch across my face. As I ascended further, I noticed my mind become occupied by both a light liveliness as well as a creeping unease. My vision stretched out before me, the height of the cliff face curling behind my head as shadows lengthened, bent, and danced off the face of the rocks. I could feel the darkness lick my elbows and legs as I moved one limb at a time through the vertical garden of stone. When I was high enough, the only place to climb further was through the falling water itself. The frigid torrent was heavy and blinding, and at one moment my foot slipped on a wet foothold, sending deep panic surging through me. In a moment, I was pulled back into reality and into unmitigated immense terror before some part of me seized that fear and embraced what swirled within it. The fear became a passenger, an encouraging companion that soothed my mind when it should have shattered it. The world around me had dropped out entirely and the cliff face was a solitary monolith amidst a black universe. The small red object, now just feet from me, acted as a glowing beacon that pulsed and shook along the unnaturally slow beat of my heart. My body ached as I struggled to it, discovering it to be a small plastic box attached to the rock with a climbing bolt. The box was latched shut with Velcro, and I ripped it open to find a small note inside. It just read, your next step, then listed out something I recognized as global coordinates. My muscles were on the verge of giving out, even in my frenzied state. I stuffed the note back in the box before descending from my perch. With each lowering step, my world came back into view and the warmth returned to my blood. The stretched shadows were violently ripped back to their rightful place as I, shaking, returned to the ground beneath me. I sat in the sunlight, cold and wet alongside the budding creek. The ferns lining the ground around me lied with fronds unfurled towards the sun, welcoming its warm glow. I heard the mumbles of robins high in the trees above me and tried to give myself to the environment as I had done so many times before, but something was disconnected. The gentle swishing of supple fresh pine needles and the chittering of squirrels could do nothing but pale in comparison to the exhilaration of the danger which I just experienced. The colors of my surroundings seemed so dull. I went to drink once more from the stream, finding that although the sweetness remained, my mind had become a fortress impenetrable by its soothing natures. My mind returned to the note, to my next step. I could see the coordinates in my mind's eye like they were carved into my retina. The only thing I could think to do was find out where those coordinates led me. Within two weeks, I was in Death Valley, California for the next piece of my scavenger hunt. I have to admit, I was a little angry that my mysterious trail guide was taking me somewhere I had already extensively explored. In fact, I had been fairly irritable all week. I found myself, in my most solitary moments, thinking back to the excitement and hunger at the way it felt to climb those rocks, to feel so unsafe. The coordinates weren't as accurate as they could have been. Each given figure only had precision enough to narrow my destination to somewhere within a four to five mile radius. I parked my rental at the trailhead closest and set out. 
Whatever I was looking for would be somewhere in the foothills of one of the valley's mountain ranges where desert met rock. I was familiar enough with the area, having climbed those very mountains twice within the last three years. I just figured I'd do what I did last time and head up. I picked a trail I knew could get me to a good viewpoint quickly. Maybe I would be able to see something. I hiked into the hills for hours as the sun grew higher in the sky, beating gold upon the rocks. Sparse foliage clung desperately to parts of the terrain, and lizards skittered out of my way as I ascended the lowest peaks. It was after a number of hours, though, that I came face to face with a trail that did not exist. It could not exist, because the weathered pathway that beckoned tore through what was a weathered rock face just six months ago. It was as if a section of the mountain had been replaced without a trace. The rock hadn't been carved or fallen, it was simply gone, erased from reality. A warm desert breeze whipped out from the path between the rocks and carried a familiar, acrid scent. Once again, the feeling I had been chasing, the thrill of dread, gripped me and I began hunting my next prey. The path continued deep into the mountain the smooth rock walls rising high above my head, leaving just a sliver of blue sky. The walls had uncountable layers, impressing upon me the millions of years of their silent, waiting existence. The path flowed like a river, taking turns left and right, narrowing and opening up, only to narrow once more. As the scent I followed became stronger, I noticed I was slowly descending, eating away down into the mountain. A half hour passed before the trail opened up for the last time into a shaded clearing surrounded on all sides by towering walls of brown desert stone. At the heart of this open space was a large crack in the ground brimming with liquid that had seeped forth from its depths. The entire clearing smelled of vinegar and salt stinging my nostrils and eyes. Despite sitting on the earthy red bedrock, the liquid was impossibly blue, with a color so intense my eyes could do nothing but deny it was real. Toward the center of the open fault, that blue descended into a black of seemingly infinite depth. My muscles shuddered and twitched with fear and anticipation. Without thinking, I stepped towards it, sure I had found my quarry. Every inch closer to the deep blue pool I moved, the world around me blacked out like it had once before. Adrenaline met dread as I leapt with abandon and sank beneath the surface of the liquid. Immediately, my body burned. I became acutely aware of every small cut or tear in my skin I had collected from the journey. Opening my eyes felt as if I was looking into a thousand suns, but I had to search. I looked up to see that I was falling. Ten. 15, 20 feet below the surface, every second growing further away from precious oxygen and salvation. I saw the shadows wrench themselves free of that prison and blot out the sun like insidious vines. I could do nothing but stare in horror, sinking low enough that even if I were released that second, I felt I might not make it. Pure ecstasy filled my body. The weight of the pool above me was restraining and the blackness pulled me in faster every second. Panic took hold again. 
The darkness called to me and I screamed with terror, wasting the last of my air on a futile action as I smiled and submitted. There was a light, a beacon, another box that sat below me. My lungs filled with my liquid captor as my vision darkened. I didn't need to open the box this time. Solely by touching its claret housing, I was bestowed with the destination of my next adventure. Tears exploded from my eyes in pangs of fright and alarm, but they were lost into the primordial fluid. I began rising quickly to the surface, coughing the second I broke the barrier between the worlds of darkness and light. As I spilled out onto the rock, clawing my way back from certain death, I cried and retched and drained my lungs of the predaceous liquid. I caught my breath and held myself until eventually the shaking and convulsing subsided. The warm colors of the rock around me had faded to cool grays and beiges. Each breath I took of the air felt thin and unfulfilling. In my mind, I could think of nothing but my next step. The Arctic beckons. Thanks for listening to this episode of Nocturna. If you enjoyed what you heard, don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss the next episode. You can keep up with the show on social media at Nocturna Podcast. And if you want to support even more, take a moment to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. That feedback is one of the best ways to help the show grow. And most importantly, tell a friend. Just make sure they can handle it. Thanks again. Oh, and stay safe. You never know what's out there. <laughs>